You're listening to the Driven by Design Now Awards podcast. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me is Kirsten Mann. Hey, Mark, how's it going? Look, Kirsten, it's fantastic. I'm just back from Iceland. I could see, and you're wearing an Iceland beanie. Well, in that's because. 30 degree day. I know. I'm back here in 30 degrees, but the lovely people in Iceland turned around and that they gave me a beanie. And uh, I think it was meant to make me feel like I was just one of them because uh, nobody in the street was wearing a beanie with an Icelandic flag on the top of it. There but, but there's a reference to them. And there is a hell of a lot of news for us to go talk about from Iceland. But I want to talk about the tour before we get into much further. And so, hold on, Mike. You have been travelling all over the world. I've been watching your antics via LinkedIn, Facebook, all of these things. It's been a pretty phenomenal few weeks for you. It has been 29 days, nine cities, seven design awards. It, it, it was relentless. If you go think doing a loop of the world in that period of time, it, basically it's two, two cities a week. Oh my goodness. And the energy is astounding. You know, this year Driven by Design, 1,100 projects have been awarded covering over $250 billion of economic activity. It's like scale up time, this thing's going off. And you even went to, like I think it was Taipei, and to where there weren't even wards there expected. Well actually, so that's interesting. There are, it's not one of the cities that we run as a program, but it's a city of origin of a phenomenal amount of awards. We looked at 45 awards that were were in there, but if you think 45 out of 1100, it's not that many, but it's still, incredible design work that's coming out of these designers out of, out of Taipei. Why not go there? It's fantastic. And so today we're actually going to be talking about some of the things that you were celebrating when you were on the road in the sense and celebrating a better future. If you're celebrating a better future, it's going to be about the courage of the propositions that people have rather than actually having our media which is full about what isn't happening about a better future. So it's really focusing on people who have the courage to make a difference. That's it. Versus all the, nobody's doing this, nobody's doing that. Let's showcase the people who are making a difference. And one of the things that I love about sport is that sport is always about somebody who's trying to be better than the other one. Mm -hmm. It doesn't invalidate the past winner, Mm. the fact that there's somebody who's gone further and faster. And in this case here, we need to see the people who've got their courage and their excellence that they that they keep pushing the boundaries there. And that's what we're going to look at today. So that's pretty exciting. And so it's all focused on people who are pushing the boundaries here. And starting with one that is, when I looked at this, I thought, okay, 100-year-old pants. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, and, and so this gets into material science. Mm. But what's interesting, material science, like uh, I, I think... I think I'm wrong here by a year or two, but Gore-Tex is basically as old as I am. You know, it's uh, it's featured in Seinfeld. It's got a big (laughs) George's puffer jacket. Right, so it's fifty odd years that Gore-Tex has been around, and Gore-Tex isn't in every product. And while I was in Berlin, I caught up with a company in Berlin called EcoElf, who do recycling of fishing nets and turn it into uh, turn it into activewear apparel. That's new, but it's still low-tech polymers that are in there. It isn't the high-tech polymers. So this is all about high-tech. Like they're, they're talking about th- materials that have three different layers where there's they resist abrasions, they repel water, they're fireproof. Like and this is unheard of. So, and what I really like about um, uh, the company here, Vonback, that they've they keep pushing the idea that they can make garments 
out of amazing materials. Mm. So you've got to think about that. First, you've got to come up with the amazing base material. Then it's got to be furnished into a garment, which then needs to be you know, sized, uh, and so it will scale up, scale down. It also needs to have the appropriate finishing in it so that the seams will stay there. There's a lot to, to go from just material into garment. So they're like they're basically reframing the context of textiles for us. They are, and and you know, if I go think back to my grandparents' generation, that they they had resilient garments. Mm. Those resilient garments were that they darned their socks. You know, you repaired your socks. No, your shoes. No, they they keep on shoes healing really them. Heal, yeah. yeah, and even to the point that if a suit had a you know you'd worn through the the pants or the seat of your pants that you would go get that panel of material placed, not the whole suit. So this idea of resilient fashion is something that we've understood before. Yeah, but we've just lost it over the last couple of generations. And and a lot of that came through because it was the market driving that people wanted market share, they then wanted to go have footfall in their stores, they wanted to go just make sure that they were making, making, making. So it's all disposable fast fashion, and this is the other extreme where it's a resilient clothing proposition. Yeah, and actually, while I was in while I was in Reykjavik, I, I had an amazing moment that happened. So, one of the designers who came along to the briefing that we did about the about the impending design summit is the lad going uh, uh, not Björk but Bork. Okay, <laughs> they're pretty similar names. So Bork came along and she she you know, explained where she fitted in the fashion world. I didn't know that much about it, and then. She sat down next to a lady who was wearing from head to toe this lady's garments. Oh, how cool is that? And she'd never, so the customer had never met the fashion designer, and so there's this little, you know, starstruck moment. Mm. But then the following day, I went and I had lunch with a fashion designer who told me that Björk was actually the origin of her understanding of slow and resilient fashion. And so there's this chain of you know knowledge and mm. expertise that's coming through in the Icelandic fashion industry, and we're seeing that also here with these guys out of mainland Europe, where they're saying, well, maybe what we need to do is actually think of garments which could last for a hundred years, resilient garments, and in this case here, it's got an outer layer which is waterproof, it's got a fire layer in it, and then it's actually got the skin layer in there, so you've got a multi-layered garment which is meant to go and actually work in some pre pretty heavy industrial environments. And industrial environments might be military, it might be paramilitary, first responders, or it could just be people who like to go hang out on rocks and they want clothes that aren't gonna go get damaged. Well, it's, and it's a perfect example of people who have the courage in the future because they're totally going against fashion, what it's all about, typically. And I think, I think that's the thing where fashion has such toxic terms associated mm. with it, and there hasn't been a redefinition um, of the name. Re a redefinition. The um, the way that fashion works is still corrupt mm. for for an environmentally sustainable future, and that I haven't seen anybody come up with a term which is going to be a street term for people saying I do that sort of thing. Mm. That um, hasn't got the connotations associated with yeah, fashion. Yeah, and so you know we've talked about. Um, here we've got Volbeck, we also had uh, the people out of uh, Iceland, and we've got people like EcoElf. So there's a movement coming here, but it's a movement that hasn't actually got to that coalesce moment where we can say the name of this movement is, and I'm going to look forward when we actually get that name because it's, it stifles the conversation to talk about what courage these people have 
I'm bringing us a different form of garment era, a, a form of garment which is actually about a better future, not something which is detrimental to the future. Well, speaking about something that's actually positive to the future and has a name associated with it now, and it's not about urban forests, it's about urban farming. Yes. Yeah, so and so we've got IKEA. IKEA, yeah. and, and like I'm so exuberant about this, it's the IKEA Tom Dixon project where they've gone and announced what they're going to put on at the Chelsea um, Garden Show later on this year, and then they're expecting it another six to nine months later to actually be product that people can get. So I'll, I'll go back and uh, we'll look at some of this about IKEA because IKEA actually have a product range which is designed for in-kitchen growth um, uh, systems for plants. So, yeah, so th incubating. this is about creating plant, like food, basically. Yeah, so incubating food using light energy, water and nutrients, uh, but doing it in your kitchen. There's all sorts of benefits for that, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere where there's, um, say, harsh weather mm -hmm. conditions. What it also does is it means that you've actually got people much more in touch with the idea of growing something. It isn't all just in a plastic-filled bag at the supermarket. So already we've done something which is a better future. We've got rid of vegetables in plastic bags. We've got rid of carbon miles. We but they're like taking it one step further here. This is where they're actually doing a, basically a concept that would go on the tops of apartments or roofs and create the urban farm. Ab absolutely. And the, and the idea of uh, communal living spaces then having a, an urban farm has so many layers of the working. So well, It's all the community layers. Isn't you've got it, the food building? production side in there. It also does something which is really interesting. Now, listeners, Kirsten and I are both extroverts. You know, put us in a room with a bunch of people, we'll go, go talk to them and we just get energy from it. But, but you know, the more we focus on design being for everybody, we've got to go think about the 80 plus percent of people that design has to go and address. And what I like about this idea of the urban forest is for people who are in a, a co-living environment in an apartment block, that they might have a rooftop garden there's a non-verbal socialisation mm. that can take place. There's a shared pursuit. And if that goes to help from the isolation and loneliness that people are feeling in urban environments, that's a great benefit. Well, it's, a, it's about them being able to basically have interactions in this space and, and not feel like they have to converse with other people. They're just present there and they're part of a community. And what I really like about the fact that they, you know, so... By going to Tom Dixon, Tom is astounding at making light fittings. Mm -hmm. So he's used to making products that people desire, but there's also the fact that light is where the food starts. Mm. And so it's an interesting marriage between Tom and also with IKEA here. IKEA is getting into a multi-layered reason why people would be involved with it, but I think it's just such a great proposition about grow your own food and then you really know its origin, you know what's going on. You also get a chance to share that with other people. Brilliant project, I'm absolutely in love with it. You're in. Well, from urban farming to cars. Okay, so so this is the Aston Martin Heritage EV project. Now we spoke about a similar kind of project a number of um, weeks. So had Jaguar had the E-Type project in there, and what, what I find really interesting about this is when you start to see environmental, environmentally sustainable and sensitive projects going into people who collect classic cars, you're also getting a high percentage of the people who collect these classic cars are also sitting in boardrooms 
And if they're going to do it with their private money in their private life, that means the decision influences that they have in the boardroom are also going to be coming from an environmentally sustainable well, you perspective. you hope it transitions over and results in better environmental Let's say we na- we, at least the concept is in the boardroom. Yeah. And we know when we get things into the boardroom that you then start to see the snowballing effect that takes place there. So, the so I- these, these execs who are wanting basically to buy their electronic Aston Martin start making better choices for That's their business. It. That's it. And then you turn around and you say, well, there, there we've got to a point where you've got the compound decision making, which is mm-hmm. actually leading to the better future, rather than actually having it that it's just not on the agenda. I, I mean, I've and got let's to face it, it, it's a pretty sexy car as well. I, <laughs> I, I, I will test drive one if you're forced to. Now, from sexy shaped cars to sexy shaped amusement places, wow. right? So, so. So, so it's interesting that you've gone that if it's a tourist attraction, that it's an amusement place. So I think I think the Eden project that we're looking so at here. So we're looking at Eden Shape North here, which is basically they've kind of sub-labeled muscle-shaped glass houses. I yes, think. Yeah, so I, I want to so help you here because because it's not an amusement. It's 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 not muscle-shaped. It's actually the <laughs> Eden project, which is down in Cornwall, uh, that's been there for quite a number of years, and. This is actually about them scaling up. So they've done their prototype site, they understand how to operate it, they understand how to construct it, and now they're actually expanding out. So there's uh, one going to the north of of the United Kingdom. There's also in Australia, New Zealand, and throughout China, that these projects are going in. Well, and see, it, and this is a dream from a product development perspective, right? They've done the thing where you've actually created the concept, you're testing it, and you're iterating on it based on learnings. And so that's what I love about this project, that they've actually taken those learnings and said, how do we actually t- build on that and scale it, and now do something even more ambitious. And, and so this is a, um, a Grimshaw project. And Grimshaw, actually, they did, um, uh, Victoria Station, they've done a bunch of very difficult sites that meant that they had to get the engineering of how do you go in curved surfaces, go create couplings for glass, that because yeah, glass expands with heat, mm-hmm. it, that can go create a weatherproof environment. And you can actually draw a line from there, the projects that they did in the, at London's Victoria Station, all the way through to the Eden Project, which is they have excellence in how do you go create weatherproof glassed environments and that's what you need if you're going to create a biosphere for people to go visit. And they're extraordinary looking environments as well but I think what's really interesting here is they've built they're focusing on building a resort that's actually about the environment. And there's no fairy floss. No, and, no and caged no animals. Mickey, no caged animals, <laughs> there's no Mickey Mouse. This is just actually why don't you go and enjoy the environment. Which says says something interesting which is We'll go back to my grandparents. Mm-hmm. My grandparents used to just go into the environment. <laughs> so the environment has been affected so much that we now have you know, biospheres to show you what an environment looks like. There's something very worrying about that. Mm. But there's also something that's redemption, which is we're concerned about it. And then maybe our future is how do we get... You know, not to this zero position that we're that we're all looking at, which is you know zero carbon emissions. It's a, what's our imagination beyond zero? How do we not only get to res, a resilient future, but a restorative future, so that we're actually investing for future generations? Well, that, that's a beautiful intro to our actual finalist this month, and it's urban curtains. And so the the link there that I loved was 
these guys have actually created these algae field urban curtains, right? Which are, they're doing um, basically sucking the CO2 out of the air and producing, you know, so you think, look at that and you think, okay, this is, this is amazing because essentially they're setting these um, environments up to self-harvest food and energy. Yeah, and, and so I, I, I look at this as astounding. You know, when, mm. we, when we saw the first solar panels being put, put on buildings, you said, oh, they are ugly. But this is actually working out how to go and sequester carbon in a in a local environment. We used to do that with trees. And you know, if I go think of the work that I see in Singapore from Wailhara Architecture where they they go make these amazing green facade buildings. But there's only so much green facade that you can go put mm. on. Yet we know that there's so much more of the facade of the building that could be used for things like an algae farm. And the great thing about the algae farming is that you're either turning it into a food substance. We're not quite ready for eating algae yeah. yet. <laughs> There'll be something soon, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. No. kale smoothies are yeah, getting us pretty exactly. close. But what they are doing is that they're storing the energy that's been sequestered that can be used in other ways. And you've got to think that's actually quite a, a carbon neutral idea. Oh, well, that It's back to this beyond zero emissions thing that we keep on starting to, we're seeing coming through more and more projects that we're looking at. And that's actually really exciting. People aren't just getting to zero emissions. They're saying, how do we move beyond that? That's it. And so the imagination always has to be cast forward. Mm. And I think if you're saying, well, we've got a good platform when we say that we want to do things which are about a better future, but having a zero attitude is actually probably a 1980s discussion. I think a 2030, 2050 discussion is actually beyond zero because similar to cancer, we now know a lot of people are surviving cancer. It's how do you actually thrive after cancer? We have to work out how we thrive as a society when we get beyond zero. And ultimately we're celebrating creating a better future. That's it. So Kirsten, here's our five projects listeners. It's been a fantastic year that we've been actually looking at these projects, but we wanted to cap off the year by actually focusing on the environment because for some strange reason, there's people who aren't. Mm. And I don't think I could actually go into 2019 if I hadn't done my bit to push the needle for a better future from our environment. I think you've got the message across. Fantastic. <laughs> As I always say, be driven by design. And I suppose we've got to now cap that off with and think about a better future.